With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I am Boyd Hilton. Psychic Josh is with us in his magnificent Soho Star office. Hi, Josh. Good evening, Boyd. Great to be here. Fabulous. Fabulous to be here. And in equally fantastic news, we're joined by staunch regular guest Ricky Lawrence. Hello. Hello, Rick. How's it going? Good evening. I'm well, thanks. How are you guys? Very well. Did you? I know Josh went to the King Power Stadium. Did you get to go? No, I wasn't no. at Leicester. No, no, I was at Villa. Um, right. So I feel like you know, if we're picking who got the better, you know, yeah, a game Midlands, to go to. Midlands-based away game. Exactly. Yeah. So no, no is a short answer to your question. Did you manage to? I I kind of watched it on a series of dodgy streams on my phone um and kind of got the general gist of it did you man did you can i'm not trying to get you in trouble with you yeah and I was, well i was gonna i was gonna reveal where i watched but just in case the authorities <laughs> right. are listening i had a perfect viewing from oh, minute one to minute really whatever it was 96 or whatever yeah it was it was perfect okay. so yeah, that was that was nice that was very let's nice. say you happen to be on holiday for the weekend in you know portugal or something and you're sure watching. yeah because the, the rest of the world gets to see all the Premier League games like that, we don't. Yeah, it's outrageous. In fact, three are three games in a row, Josh, without being on TV. Absolutely extraordinary scenes. Um, yeah, it, it, it is extraordinary given where Arsenal are in the table. I think some of that probably comes down to um, maybe expectations of of where Arsenal might be at, at, the, yeah. at this point in the season. And I, I was looking back this week or a few days ago at the BBC article that is always published a few days prior to the start of the season where all 20 pundits select who they believe will be in the top four and you know none of them have got Arsenal um, in the top three and just you know a handful had Arsenal as fourth so maybe we can forgive um, some of the broadcasters maybe not quite foreseeing um, you know Arsenal being in this position. Also I think I think that isn't it. I think Sky have. To, I think all the broadcasters have to show 
Don't they have to show a certain amount? There's a limit. They can't show every single There's game. a minimum number. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But there, there are, without giving uh, anything away that's overly insightful, I, th- I think there are elements of, you know, conversations that, of course, happen between the two broadcasters and choices that are made on on following specific games or clubs. So um mm. it's just it's just worked out that way that but i also think they have to save up don't, to some extent they want to show all kind of all our games when it gets to the correct you, you look ahead now to april yeah. and yeah. there's a reality of how much we're, we're on telly albeit you know uh the big one man city arsenal end of april is a, is a bt game that you know usually i guess when we get to the business end of a season we associate these games with with sky um mm. so yeah that's um, I didn't realise that was a BT game. That's it's a BT game on a on the Wednesday midweek, night. Yeah. Midweek, midweek. Wow. I'm going. Um, I think that will be what. Boy, come on! If we're still in the title race, can I get you to Manchester for that game? Oh, maybe I should try. Yeah. What date's that? April the 26th, Wednesday night. I mean, I know you have a immeasurable, innumerable yeah, yeah. number of social yeah. commitments that involve you having to. It's not so much that. Talk to and it's partly about their that. TV shows. But come on. <laughs> Oh, do you know what? Actually, do you know where I'm, I think I'm going to be? I think I'm going to be away for that week. I think I'm going to be in LA that week. Because that game, that game is, is, is the day before the last ever um, uh, James Corden show in, oh, in wow. America. Which I, so yeah, you're going over for the final go. show? Yeah, I'm hoping to, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be around. What a week that's... And in fact, that's... Yeah, so that's um, the day before the final... And then on Saturday, it's Arsenal v Chelsea as well. Well, I'm sure oh, Ben will will want to watch with you for that Arsenal yeah. City game. It could be a big LA kind of viewing party for the, be. for the Arsenal game. It could be, yeah, yeah. That's going to be, be incredibly exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Boyd, if you if you can't get you to um, Manchester, never mind. I presume uh, you obviously would have seen our Europa League draw. You're not you're not planning a little quick trip to Lisbon either, then. I, can't, I can't, really annoyingly I can't go to Lisbon because I'm hosting a thing the next morning, um, so I can't go to Lisbon. Well, actually, Boyd, I hate to break it to you, but did you see we're well, an I could early do a day trip? Five forty-five p.m. There is a flight back. A few of us right. were discussing earlier. There is a flight back yeah. about ten p.m., so it's doable. Yeah, I'm not sure my constitution is strong enough, and my blood pressure could take that. Was it discussed amongst excitement. the the big? We club level a names? brief discussion. Yeah, brief discussion. I think. Yeah, right. yeah. Especially because some, some, some people in in my WhatsApp group, shall we say, have have quite lavish living arrangements in Portugal. So, uh, so you know, it was definitely discussed. Yeah, I'm not sure if anyone. Well, you can, can name yourself there. Don't feel sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a villa in Portugal, contrary to popular rumor. But we should we should get on with the uh, with the game. The and which where you were there now from watching it on the variety of dodgy streams. On my phone and the and the highlights on Match of the Day and the extended highlights on Sky, etc. It seemed one of the most extraordinarily dominant games I've ever seen of Arsenal away. Certainly away. I mean, I it was almost unbelievable the extent to which they they completely uh, whether Leicester were terrible and could barely muster one chance. The XG was like the lowest ever, wasn't it, in recorded history, I think, by the XG, that XG um, people. Um, or, you know, was it was that a case of Arsenal just completely nullifying them without a football, or were they just absolutely terrible? As with all these things, it felt like a bit of both. I must yeah. admit, almost being there, I didn't feel it was quite as dominant as then it did look on the on the stats and in on the, on the highlights that were shown. And 
I think it might have even been Ricky in a WhatsApp group I'm in mentioned this XG of 0.01 and sort of seemed like it couldn't possibly, man. It seems totally absurd. But then you think about what they had, and it was basically one shot that went went wide, really, that I could remember come yeah, come there. The there was a, a one shot on on target, just looking here at the match stats, 10 shots for um, sorry, there wasn't a shot on target, but there was no. just one shot, which was yeah. which went wide. Um, but even Arsenal, I think only it says here two shots on target. So it didn't feel quite as totally dominant. I thought Leicester were really poor. It seems a really obvious thing to say, but as soon as Madison's name wasn't on the team mm. sheet, there was a sense of, well, you know, playing Leicester, you'd feel fairly confident the way it's gone this season, but playing them without Madison, you know, how much more so? And, and so it proved, but defensively Arsenal were, you know, were excellent um, as it were across the whole pitch. I think the decision to play Trossard was vindicated and and worked out in a, a positive performance. And uh, yeah, I mean, it felt like Arsenal were going to score eventually. Um, we created enough opportunities and, and movements. And and so it proved and, uh, you know, well done to Martinelli, who's obviously had an element of, you know, being left out Um you know, recently and, you know, doing very well as when he did come on and then he's been given a start again and, you know, he took the goal so well. But it was a, an incredibly enjoyable day out, a nice day trip. Uh, I was with a friend of the podcast, Alex Brooker, um, and we uh, and Gareth Parker, I should say. We all had yeah. the drive up together. and uh, I saw Roman Kemp behind you as well. Roman Kemp was with us as one, well. One yeah, time. Yeah. We mean, had Roman Kemp on this show, didn't we, years ago, before he was anything. He was, he was, he was. Well, I wouldn't say before he was anything, but he certainly was not of the uh, profile he is now. But no. uh, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll come back on. Weirdly, Alex and um, uh, Roman are co hosting the London Football Awards coming up soon. I, you, you, two, you, I, you and I went to that when Derby was. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, and, yeah. and obviously, you've got the, the Willow Foundation, which is a, an amazing um, yes. charity that, um, you know, has obviously the Bob Wilson links the 13th of March, um, Boyd. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to hope to hope to be there and uh, looking forward to it. Okay. Excellent. Anyway, Ricky. Um, when you saw, as I mean, Josh literally summed up the entire game, I thought, in very, very nicely in, in a few minutes. But when um, you saw, let's go back to the team section, when you saw Trossard had been picked um, uh, instead of Eddie and Ketia, what did you think of that decision? And what did you think of the of the outcome? Um, well, I actually saw it. It got shared with me that that was likely to happen at probably around 7am or around that time. There's a elite lineups profile somewhere or hmm some form of social media. Um, so Enketia actually has been struggling with a with a knock. So he was going to be rested stroke, I don't know, given some time on the bench, whatever you want to call it, um, for the game. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, I think Enketia has done a good job, which is, seems to be tailing off slightly um, since he's had to come in for Jesus. Um, don't want to seem too harsh on him, but I think, in my opinion, he's shown that sort of moving forward next season, he should be our third choice rather than our second choice, which may not be the most popular of opinions, but I think he's done okay. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't trust him to lead the line regularly. Um, so I was fine with Trossard coming in um, and I thought Trossard had a good game. Um, I think their team news, as Josh alluded to, was probably more important. Just no Madison and they, I mean, Gary Lineker even said it on match of the day, which I thought was quite a bold statement from her, albeit he is obviously out there as a Leicester fan. It was quite a bold statement for a presenter to say. I think he said, no, no Madison, no hope. And that was what it proved mm-hmm. to be. It would have been, 
probably the most unjust result of our season had we not have won that game because yeah. you know there was no way we should have been like I was watching it from like you know almost behind a pillow um, at the end and that shouldn't have been the case it should have been so so easy um, and it kind of was but also like it was so bad yeah. so bad that it should have been a walk in the park but uh, no 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 uh, I, I listened to another Arsenal podcast uh, today I know, sorry, Josh. Yeah. Wait a minute, the, hold the, on. The athletic one, I pay like a pound a month for it, whatever. There's another um, Arsenal podcast. Yeah, Fuck I know, you. I know. Yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the a pool of two. Um, and they were talking on there about the fact that it's, you know, we're going to have to use these players. We're going to have to use all these, like, you know, we're going to have to rotate. And I'm sort of the, of the opinion almost like the complete opposite. I know we've got Europe coming up, but mm. I, I don't, no, if I'm right or not, but I still see there's being such a drop off from our first team. Bar maybe, mm. maybe Tommy Esther, though, obviously, he'd better against Man City and cost us a goal. Um, obviously, Nketi's done fine. And Smith Rowe just hasn't been fit. And then it's only really Trossard that I trust. After yeah. that, like Zinchenko's just so much better than Tierney. So much better than Tierney. Vieira, I'm frightened when he comes on the pitch. And I don't mean to be harsh. Uh, just when we're chasing a guy, I don't trust, you know, don't yeah. look to him. And um, yeah, so I do think, you know, yeah. if it's in Ketia, if it's Trossard, if it's Martinelli at the moment, it's not a huge difference. After that, though, I, it does worry me. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that because I think, um, first of all, I think Trossard showed particularly like uh, that he could play like Gab, Gab like, you know, like Jesus. Couldn't he? Like he was much more in that mould than Eddie is. Eddie Eddie's like a kind of standard, pretty good, you know, kind of hold the ball up forward. Um, whereas I thought Trossard did really, really well in being that force nine and being kind of distracting attention from the defenders and all of that, and scored a brilliant goal. I, th- I think that it was the refereeing decisions that if they'd have gone our way, which they could have easily done on another day brackets because there's no conspiracy against us but but of course it does feel that way it feels that way again after that game but like you know on any on a normal not i would say even though it was a foul ben white's foul on the keeper i would say 75 percent of the time that is not given that that is not that goal is not stopped by var to because of that reason i thought that was a really unusual moment use of var and, and highlighted again how unbelievably and irritatingly um, up and down VAR is and unreliable and confusing and inconsistent it is because you see that all the time. There's all, you know, players get hold of goalkeepers all the time. There's melees in the area. And then when, like, almost like five minutes later, Trostard creates that spectacular shot and a brilliant goal and it gets ruled out by VAR. So I thought that those moments and and then Zaka not get Saka not getting the penalty that he was equally grappled, obviously grappled with, even more so than Ben White was grappling with the goalkeeper. To not get that, all of those things added to the fact that that we only had a very small margin of victory and yet it felt like we dominated the game. Did you see those incidents, Josh? Yeah, I certainly did. I mean, in the ground, it wasn't even one of those goals where you're like, oh, we better wait and see what happens with no. this one with Voss. Like there'd been a full-on celebration. One nil up, no doubt in our minds. But then it was, of course, as soon as you start seeing the the VAR check, you you worry. And then as soon as the referee has gone over, it's an inevitable situation. But yeah, in the, in the guise of this having to be a clear and obvious error, um, I wasn't convinced. But then on match of a day, um, 
you know, it, it, I don't think there was there was too much kind of objection. Certainly in the in the commentary, was there in terms of um, thinking about uh, what the decision was, and it was you know um, open to interpretation. Look, does Ben White have a hold of his hand? It's not the clearest angle, but probably he does. And there's a level of in, impediment, but it yeah, it was incredibly frustrating. I'm with you. I think the vast majority of the time that doesn't get overturned. So. It, it was, was uh, funny. Talking about match of the talking about match of the day, it was quite weird because on the I was to Five Live, so I was listening to Five Live as well as trying to watch it as much as I could. And on Five Live, the commentator literally said after the he was very much vehemently of the opinion, surprised that the that the goal was disallowed, and then that Saka penalty wasn't given. And he said both of those controversial decisions, no doubt, will be looked at in detail on match of the day, and they weren't. They didn't look at the Saka penalty at all. Do you notice that in the in the um, in the in the summary of the game? I mean, he mentioned it. Jonathan Piss mentioned it in his commentary, of course, but it was not analysed after the game. It almost felt like Manchester has kind of given up on analysing VAR decisions because it gets so fucking boring and irritating and annoying. Well, there's an element of that. I didn't even ask Micah, obviously, um, actually about why why that clip wasn't shown, unless they just felt like it wasn't enough of even a. a, a clear kind of penalty to cr- therefore create a big a big talking point worthy of it i mean it's it's tough right they've only got a few minutes to analyze yeah, sure. each game so i yeah. guess i guess that's the and, answer i guess they yeah. probably concluded it wasn't yeah it was just surprising yeah and i mean they, they spent most of the time being very positive about arsenal particularly about trossard go back to ricky's point which i which i which i meant to so when on this other podcast when they talked about um uh, rotating more. What they're talking about within the league games as well, because uh, as far as I'm yeah. concerned, like, he can he can rotate. Please God, rotate as much as you want in the Europa. I mean, for God's sake, play whoever. But I'm totally with you that the the, the drop off is big almost every position. And what's interesting as well on this point about rotating, he doesn't even he very very reluctantly makes substitutions. I think you know, and I think and I I even agree with that. I think when he I get I get I, the only time I get worried about this at the moment, I think we're playing so brilliantly. Um, generally and controlling games so well, but it's an equilibrium, isn't it? And as soon as he starts bringing on one or two a Vieira, say for example, you think, oh, it's going to upset the equilibrium because we're completely dominating. And Pep doesn't. Pep often goes through games without making many substitutions. It feels like what I think he's learnt from Pep, and I think that's fine. I just yeah. So they did. They did say, or it was the Athletic podcast, and I think it was yeah. Amy Lawrence was saying that you know we'll yeah. have to start some of these players. I'm not sure if he's if she's specifying the league, but I think she was alluding to that fact, um, or her, or that was her opinion. I think yeah. For me, obviously, you know, we've got on paper two of our easiest home games to come over the next you know what five or six days or whatever, and. There, there is an argument, I would say, you know, people would say, well, why don't we start Tini instead of Zinchenko or give Tommy Asso a start? Maybe even, um, you know, play Jorginho and party if party is fit. Rest Xhaka, whatever it be over these next couple of games. I hear the argument. I just think every every point in the league or every three points really is so yeah. important yeah. that... Can you imagine if we if we drew with Bournemouth on Saturday, but Tommy Asu played? I'm not saying Tommy Asu would probably be the reason we wouldn't beat Bournemouth, but yeah, I just I just don't see a reason to, other than if you think it could affect them down the road. I just think we should do, you know, take take Zinchenko off in sixty minutes if we're tuning up against Bournemouth or whatever. Right. But yeah. at the same time, like Bournemouth and Everton are going to be scrapping. You know, they they need these points as much as we do, and I just don't see us needing to, or it's don't see the risk with fourteen league games, which is okay. It's almost half a season, but these games are just so important. We are top of the league. We could be five points clear 
by what 10 o'clock on Wednesday. Um, I just think just play your best team, but. <laughs> Saying that, we were in this position last season, albeit challenging for fourth, and he had to play the same team every single week. And by the end, you know, we lost 2-0 mm. and 3-0 in our two biggest, or 3-0 and 2-0 in our two biggest games. So I do hear the argument. I just yeah. think, yeah. Do, I, do I want to see Tierney instead of Zinchenko on Wednesday? No, no. Yeah, what do you think, Josh? I, I I I kind of agree with that. I think I think I mean the Zinchenko Tierney thing. I feel really sorry for for Tierney. Absolutely gutted, and he's clearly it's it's really it's really sad for him. I think that he's 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 such a brilliant, enthusiastic player and personality, but he cannot do, can he? He literally cannot do what Zinchenko does for us, and and particularly in fact on the game against Leicester, I thought it was a prime example of how Zinchenko is so important in that role because he just completely swamps the midfield helps he helps us dominate the ball and they couldn't get the ball out to one of their players for but for most of that match partly due to Zinchenko being on it so much and I just think Tini's not going to be like that is he Josh the longer this goes on the more you start to wonder if he can stay at the club next season yeah. he's, he's too good isn't he almost to uh, be in this position and there will be suitors who want to take him and nurture him and love him and make him absolutely first choice and, and play him every game and, and good teams um, at that. So there is a fear on that because, you know, we, we would absolutely love having him. Look, you can envisage a situation. We've got Europa League back very soon. That he's he's going to play and, and if he plays particularly well, then you you start to wonder if there is a more confidence in putting him back into the Premier League team. I also don't think it's impossible we see him, as, as Ricky alluded there. We've got, you know, um, an unusual situation having the sort of the, the midweek game turned around by a Saturday game very quickly. I'd be surprised if we see exactly the same starting 11 for both. And if you're looking for possible um, players that you might, you know, see involved, then you wouldn't you wouldn't say it's impossible that we see Tierney. You'd certainly expect him to get minutes, which obviously he he didn't even get off the bench on on Saturday. Um, even Tommy Asu only came on in, in injury time at the very end. Yeah. So whereas Arteta yeah. has been changing the fullbacks pretty frequently earlier in the games, he he resisted the opportunity um, to do that. Um, I did see that uh, Kiwior, I think, is getting a run out tonight for the. Um, under 21s, as is Emerald Smith Rowe. So it's good to get, you know, game time in for them, even if it seems more likely it'll be Smith Rowe, who we, we see getting Premier League minutes on the on the back of that. Um so yeah, I, I'm I'm probably with you. I, I don't see Tierney coming into the league side, and he, he is unfortunate down to what Zinchenko's mm. done. But I'd I'd love to see him get enough football between now and the end of the season where he wants to stay, but it just start to feel about that possibly not being reality. I do think one of the strengths in our, like one of the biggest things it's really been since the World Cup, I feel, is Inchenko and the role he's been playing. Yeah. And Tierney can't play that role. I think there's one argument to say, well, maybe it's good to have a left-back that can offer some differences in Chenko. On the other hand, if you want to still play this way, I don't think there's any point really having Tierney at the club. If you want a like-for-like replacement, if Zinchenko, let's say Zinchenko was out for a period of time and he wanted to carry on playing the way we're playing, there is no point doing that with Tierney because he's just not the same player. He doesn't have that skill set, which is either fine and we adapt or we replace him with someone that can come in and play the same way as Zinchenko. I think Tierney's a fine player, uh, but I don't think he's anything more than that. And I think we've, we've uh, maybe just gone to a level that he's not able to get to. That might sound really harsh, but I think right now we're just, I think it's harsh. I think Tierney is all right. Um, and yeah, he probably was, he probably looked 
better when we were a poorer side. But now I think we're a better side and he's not quite up to the standards that we require right now. Do I think if we played him in the next two games, if he played 90 minutes against Everton and the Bournemouth, would we still win if everyone else played, uh, played or if the rest of the team was the same? Yeah, we probably would because Everton and the Bournemouth aren't great sides. But Zinchenko has been really, really, really important for us. And I would rather we didn't, you know, change the team to give Kieran Tierney minutes. I think if there is a if there is a um, argument to be made that Tyranny should get some minutes, it would be maybe against the team these teams that are going to play like a low block against us and have all the men behind the ball. Maybe because he can, he might pose more of a threat. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we haven't played games recently, in fact, where we haven't our last we haven't created quite as many chances. I mean, you could argue even even against Leicester that was the case, and maybe Tierney might provide something new. But I wouldn't drop Zinchenko. I just think Zinchenko has yeah. been. Like, Zinchenko was probably our best player in the first half on Saturday. It was funny because I said no one really. I say probably Trossard and Zinchenko were our best players on Saturday. But I think Leicester was so bad, particularly in the first half, that we didn't have to do anything to get to a good position. And then it was from those good positions we just didn't really create as much as we yeah. should have done. Yeah. We obviously scored early, and then we just couldn't capitalise upon it. But they were so bad, especially in the first half. They were just giving the ball back to us over and over and over again. Um, that it was almost too easy and no one had to do anything. Like Saka had a really quiet game, partly because he didn't, you know, he was almost like, well, you know, it was getting, it was either not getting the ball because we were just having chances straight away and it didn't have to be involved in them. Or I guess, you know, maybe he could have done more when he did get them. But it was a strange, especially the first half was strange. Uh, we should have put the yeah. game to bed though, of course. But yeah, I, I, I feel maybe I'm laboring the point a little bit, but I just think Zinchenko's playing particularly well at the moment. Tini is okay, but it's too different. I'd say if you want to mix it up and have a different sort of setup, then play Tini, but I just think Sinchenko has been too important right now to uh, to play around with it. I guess though the risk is, or the flip side is, play rest Sinchenko now because we need him, and you know maybe give him maybe give him uh, a chance to have a breather on Wednesday night or Saturday. Yeah, maybe we'll talk more about the game and uh, more about um, what's coming up as well after this break. And we're back from the break. There's also the interesting thing is his is party was available, wasn't he? He was on the bench. He came on for um, Odegaard, I think, um, rather than Jorginho, as you might expect, or, or even or Xhaka. And um, I wonder if he might not, you know, you'd think normally, wouldn't you? You'd think party is so important to us that he'll be straight back in the team. But if I wonder if he might even persevere with Jorginho Odegaard. And so a lot of people are saying Xhaka deserves a rest because Xhaka's played every single game, is not he? Pretty much, Josh. Yeah, I mean, I can't envisage a situation where his party gets back to full fitness that he isn't in that team. I think he's he's absolutely uh, critical. But Jorginho's influence in these um, last few games has probably been beyond what most of us might might have thought. Yeah, he wasn't necessarily um, probably expected to even you know start the. Start too many games in his first month as an Arsenal player, and but for Party's injury, then he, he might not have. But the way he has come in does give you that little bit of comfort in thinking, well, what if you know Xhaka could do with a, a game off? It wouldn't be quite as uh, uh, influential as you you thought it maybe would be, um, you know, six weeks ago. So yeah, it's definitely a positive 
um, isn't it? And he, you know, he's already getting his name sung loud and proud by the away fans. He, he seems to have sort of bedded in really, really quickly. And uh, it's an unusual situation, really. You look at Trossard, you look at Jorginho. We've got two players that have come in and started games very, very, very quickly for us, having, you know, I wouldn't say beat it out in the cold, but obviously Trossard was a strange situation at Brighton, not playing. Jorginho in and out of a struggling Chelsea team. And here they are, and they've, you know, starting games for Arsenal in the Premier League, top of the league. Yeah, Jorginho, Jorginho had a couple of absolutely incredible passes, didn't he, Rick, Rick on, um, on Saturday? Just like beautiful, right through the middle passes that are incredible. You do remember, I, I did forget, someone reminded, I think someone mentioned on Twitter or that he, he was third in the Ballon d'Or in 2021. Third only to Lionel Messi and Robert Lewandowski. Yeah, there was one pass in particular in the first half. He played a lovely ball to Saka, who yeah. uh, maybe should have done a little better. I think Jorginho's settled in, really, as you'd expect someone who, of his age and his experience and playing in the Premier League, would have done. Um, and that's probably exactly what Arsenal expected to get out of him. Um, probably similar with Trossard. That's the advantage of signing play, especially during the season. Yeah. They shouldn't need to you know, have that same betting in time if they have to play in pre-season maybe it's sort of you just keep going you know you're already playing you just you keep going his experience like I said and um, that's the advantage of signing Premier League players um, especially you know of 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 uh, a certain age maybe um, he's been very good I, I'm slightly worried there was a situation I think it was in the 90 whatever minute where Dewsbury Hall <laughs> tried to go around Jorginho Um it was over on the left, and if you remember yeah. it, um, yeah. and he walked past him because just like he wasn't there, because I think Jorginho had got to the point where he couldn't really move, and he's not the most mobile player anyway. Um, yeah, I was surprised was, he wasn't substituted. Though, well, I thought, I, yeah, I, I thought, mate, I would say he was um, a bit shaken up, and then he still brought Erdegaard off mm. um, for party. Yeah, and that's right. Erdegaard, yeah. Erdegaard obviously isn't known for his defensive ability, but that is where we do have, I guess, a bit of a. Um, you know, an empty space where we don't really have anyone that can come off the bench from a mid midfield perspective to help us see out the game. Mm. Um, and on a similar note about substitutions, I've been surprised, you know, it's probably been a total of four minutes, but I've been surprised that he's brought off Zinchenko when we've been holding a one-goal lead in the last two league games. Um, you know, when we've had uh, Martinelli was on, was still out there on. Well, Martinelli and obviously Vieira came on against Aston Villa, and I was begging him to bring off Vieira rather than Zinchenko. I just thought it's strange to bring off a defender when you're holding a one goal lead. Zinchenko's maybe not like the best from a defensive perspective, but that was strange. But yeah, that's maybe a little bit of a concern. We don't have, not that I'm a huge Elneny fan, but we don't have an Elneny type player to come mm. in and uh, sort of help us see out the game because obviously you'd expect Parr to be, to be starting and you wouldn't necessarily expect that from Jorginho if Jorginho is the man who is going to make way most of the time and be on the bench but I, I don't think it's a, a huge deal at least until it becomes one I mean Zinchenko I mean it was only the 93rd minute right it really yeah, it felt for the, the last it felt like Rob Holding time but uh, it wasn't yeah. um, it wasn't Rob Holding time it wasn't brought on it was uh, it was Tommy Asu's um, last couple of minutes but um, yeah look we, we came away didn't we from that Man City defeat and it felt like the only response we can give is to go and get six points in, in those two games and we've absolutely done it and the way we feel now is 
you know, not only because Man City dropped two points at Forest, but it just feels so much more like, you know, it's back in our hands. And I, I think psychologically getting that win on Wednesday night against Everton will be massive just for seeing that five-point buffer um, back in place. So, yeah, it's huge, huge six, seven days ahead. Have you have you got special plans, Boyd, ahead of Wednesday night? Is there a Greek, Turkish? What are no. You going for? <laughs> um, no, I think I'm going to be rushing from work. L- last week I managed to leave work really early to get there for the for the one-on-one with um, Dermot. But I think Dermot can make it this this to, the, to that game. So uh, it's going to be a straight to the game. Situation that is going to be a nervy encounter. Is it, well, yeah, I mean, we'll preview it in full at the end, but just because that's the obvious. But also, I think Everton losing losing at the weekend doesn't help. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, so they're kind of a bogey team, aren't they? Really, for us, like I know we played them at literally the worst time of all when they had the proper new manager bounce. But I don't know. But. Um, before we talk about them, let's talk about yeah Saka's contract being um, renewed. It looks like they've agreed verbally, haven't they? They've agreed verbal terms, I believe. Ricky, I mean that's a gigantic, gigantic development. I guess I don't know if there are any Arsenal fans that were concerned about it happening, but he's just the best. Like he's just, I mean, what what can you say that hasn't already been mm-hmm. said? I mean, talking of players that, you know, could do with a rest, I mean, he just plays every single minute of every single game because we just have needed him to. Again, it would have been nice if we could have got a couple more goals on Saturday and maybe given him some time to put his feet up. But, um, yeah, he's just, he's, I mean, what a guy. What a guy, what a player. He's just been unbelievable. He's been so consistent. You know, for someone yeah. to play in that position for one of the one of the top, I guess we have been at least pretty much one of the top six teams the last almost two seasons. And, you know, you could probably count on one hand the amount of bad performances. Maybe I'm being a bit kind, but he's just so good. So good. And it's absolutely amazing if we can time down to, you know, what's to say he won't just stay arsed for the rest of his life. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, it'd be a, it'd be a dream, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great bit of business though, isn't it? To kind of, to, to, to I mean, I'm sure he's totally, um, he just even I don't think he he wants to leave Arsenal in any way whatsoever. But you do think he's the kind of player that Man City would swoop in for and try and pay 130 million for or something if they if they could. Or Chelsea, yeah. Or Chelsea. Chelsea's yeah. been like 500 yeah. million or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They've got probably a few players they want to get rid of. So I mean the whole Mudrick situation does make you think, doesn't it? I mean, you know, he was sub again on um for Chelsea when they lost to Spurs, who are absolutely abominable at the moment Chelsea I do feel I've, I felt really genuinely sorry for him because he, oh, no, I love it must it. be uh, but it must be heartbreaking mustn't it that you know his agent and whatever almost forced him against his will to go for to Chelsea when he had his heart set on us and look at the situation he's in yeah yeah well, I think the you know I think that's probably sadly the club I'm sure the player and the agent did want him to go to Arsenal but if the club are only accepting one offer and you you want to get out of Shakhtar then unfortunately he was in the decision um, was probably not on the table for him to come to Arsenal, sadly. But yeah, there's no question which club you'd rather be at if the money was similar. Um, right now, it's just, uh, yeah, couldn't be a bigger, there probably hasn't been a bigger disparity between Arsenal and Chelsea for I, I don't know how long. I mean, we're, we're talking 20 plus years, aren't you, really, since we've yeah. been this this far yeah, ahead of them? It's, uh, it's unusual. The Saka situation. He's obviously not done. I'm excited to see what the club will do the day he signs that new five-year deal or whatever it is. There better be the 
most wonderful, beautiful, emotive video showing him as like a young kid at Hale Ends dancing around other 11-year-olds and gradually seeing him grow up and, you know, wear the number 87 and then, you know, become an integral part of the Arsenal team. I'm excited for that already. I'm I'm sure they've got the date. They're wondering when they need a bit of, uh, you know, a good PR day or something like that for for the Saka news. Um, Maybe just just before the England break. There's an England break, isn't there, at the end of the the month? There is at the end of March. I think England face Ukraine um, at the end of March. And um, I think Ian Wright was actually vocal on this over, over the weekend about saying, well, you know, we probably in our hearts, like Ricky alluded to, think there's enough emotional tie to make Saka stay at the top of the league you find a way to, to keep the player. It's uh, William Saliba that Ian Wright was a little bit more worried about saying that he really feels that, um, um, you know, he, he's the one that the club have got to concentrate on securing next. So fingers crossed. Did you see, um, did you see the Saliba, um, uh, Gabriel tete-a-tete? I saw it not in real time. I certainly had no idea what was going on when I in the stadium. I just saw it on Twitter after. Um, mm. Have there been any comments on further on that, Boyd? No, just you know, people. I mean, you know, people saying, "Oh, it's a, it's a good thing," you know, that players have the occasional spat. Um, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think it's interesting <laughs> that Saliba seems like a very. Um, I mean, I've no, you know, I base this on almost no evidence whatsoever, but he seems like a very kind of quite intense figure, like emotional figure. And Gabriel, you, you know, he, he feels very intense and quiet. Whereas Gabriel is quite vocal, and a lot of people, and, and he played brilliantly. Don't get me wrong, didn't he? Both played really well. The whole defense played brilliantly. But it's interesting. There was there are moments suddenly when a player, where suddenly it feels like everyone, particularly on social media, but a lot of journalists as well, suddenly start highlighting a particular player. And Gabriel, I feel like had his moment this weekend, and everyone's going, "Oh, by the way, Gabriel is one of the best central defenders in the league," um, which statistically he is and he is he is fantastic but he's also prone to the moment an explosive moment of rash behavior whereas i feel like saliba is on a much more even keel i thought it was interesting that they clashed ricky in that way yeah i think uh pre-world cup saliba could have thrown his name into the hat for our best player up to that point and i think yeah. it was just it was just before the world cup he made a mistake against wolves or rather he got away with one against wolves where he could have conceded a penalty as the last man then obviously at Brighton he gave away a goal he's had a couple of shaky moments um, and Gabriel's post World Cup I think has been almost flawless if memory serves me rightly so I think as a, as a whole they've been they've been fantastic obviously you know you could say every single player has been fantastic really um, yeah, I'm sure the whole thing was all blown over and they probably forgot about it fairly quickly like to think but yeah I think what Josh said is I think every Arsenal fan has probably thought the same thing that Saka yeah he'd probably stay at Martinelli why would he sort of leave and if he did we'd get good money for him um, and he's good but you know you feel like with a centre-back of Saliba's age you feel like they just don't come around too often and yeah. he you know you really want him to get him signed up but you know if you believe what you read it seems promising but you just don't know until until he until he signs the dotted line, right? Mm. There's no question that trying to do a deal when you're top of the league and the m- morale and positivity around the club is at an all-time high has got to be coming to the thinking of trying to get deals done. But then, you know, I saw some some comments on Twitter today that you know this Saka deal has been ongoing over the last 13 months, so you realise how long it takes to you know negotiate and for both parties to be. I'm happy with it, but um, yeah, I'm trying to imagine a scenario. Imagine that Saka left 
can you imagine the the bedlam that there would be outside if like Saka left the club to go and play for another team in the Premier League? It would be uh, it would be chaotic, Boyd. Even even you in club mm. level would be rioting. I think the Athletic had an article um, not that long ago about contracts in general and they specified about Arsenal. Um, and, you know, these things, like you said, Josh, take so long because I think it was Martinelli came out and said he wants to sign, but that's just like, doesn't really mean anything. You know, the agents will obviously in the club will just talk for months and then they'll stop talking and they'll pick it up again and just goes on. Doesn't, I don't think it necessarily means good or bad. Um, but yeah, like I said, we obviously want Saka to sign. He wanted to sign, but still, if that can still take 13 months, then goodness knows how long it's going to take if there's a little bit of, you know, friction from either side of the camp but hopefully it's a matter of time with with Saliba and you know like Josh said we're just waiting for that video for Arsenal to drop on Saka mm. it, it just to go back, it's weird to think that we you know we tried to, so desperately to get Mudrick though isn't it who would have been more in the Saka mould wouldn't he really than you know Trossard or or, or obviously you know whoever, whoever else who bought it. it was it's such so odd that we came so close to that would have I wonder how, how it would have affected things you know how it would have affected our whole season it's like a it's like a sliding doors moment. I feel. Look on both of them, right? You know, you look at the yeah. um, the deals that have been done. You know, Casiedo could join from Brighton, then we wouldn't have yeah. had Jorginho, and who knows how that would have immediately um, gone. Mudrik, we've ended up with Trossard, who's settled in fine, and you know yeah. had had a good number of minutes. So. Right now, yeah. it just looks like our window was brilliant, whereas, you know, Chelsea's looks completely perverse and insane. Well, <laughs> the Chelsea situation feels like it will take time to really tell the full story on that. You know, might have to wait till the end of next season to see how close they are to challenging or not to say, was it all worth it? But obviously, right now, it looks like a bit of a madness over there. As the, uh, it's, as interesting, the it's interesting how Graham Potter... And some another man, two managers, I think at least maybe Brendan Rodgers was singing the praises of Arsenal, wasn't he? But Brendan, but Graham Potter was talking about how you know Chelsea need to follow the example of Arsenal in sticking with Arteta, but very rather different situations. But now Arteta's become this like model, isn't he, for um, for how to stick with your manager, give him a yeah. Give him a chance. I mean, Boyd. Yes. You know. Not to we point can, fingers. Can yeah, here we go. Here we but go. there are times. I set, you know, yeah, when I set it up. Come on. You set it up where, where, where there were fingers being pointed and, and question marks raised. So you can understand where, where Potter's trying to come from, though. The pressure wasn't on Arteta in the way that it no. has and will be with Potter because of the absurd sums of money being spent on some incredibly good footballers. Let's not forget. This isn't, you know, just money for the for the sake of it. So there's more pressure. Um, and also that, you know, Arsenal, you know, haven't won the level of trophies over the last 10, 15 years that Chelsea have, you know. So there's obviously different um, levels of expectation just around the two clubs when, you know, with the with the respective managers. I, I mean, I, I like Potter. I feel affiliated to Potter. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but when I was the, what was called activities officer, at Leeds University Union, which is a elected role, I'll have you know. There were six candidates. I won. And um, I looked after oh. the sports clubs and societies, which meant that on the varsity day, when Leeds University played against Leeds Metropolitan University in football, I, I like went down to like watch a football match and be around it. Now, in charge of Leeds University that day, helping manage was no, no less than Brian Dean, the former Leeds United, Leicester City, Sheffield United striker. 
but it was a certain Graham Potter who was helping the Leeds Metropolitan team first 11 at that point. And that does show the most incredible journey that you can go from. That in 2010, Graham Potter's football management was at university level. And here we are 13 years later, and he's, you know, managing at the top end of Europe, you know, a European club. So I, I do, you know, I've always kind of followed that kind of crazy journey as soon as I was aware of where he was, you know, going on it. Um, weirdly, and this is niche, but, you know, you're still listening. Both Brian <laughs> Dean and Graham Potter went off to manage in Scandinavia. Brian managed in Norway for a couple of years, fairly successfully came back to the UK. But, you know, Graham Potter stayed on this Scandinavia adventure. We all know he ended up at Ostersunds, who, who we played, and then obviously came over to, to England. So I hope it goes a little bit better than it has been for Potter, but obviously it's quite funny seeing Chelsea how it goes. Did he pick up more points as Leeds Met manager or? I imagine so. Leeds Met always had an incredibly strong football team. Um, so uh, I don't know. I need to go back and, and look at the Bucks records uh, for you, Ricky. I'll uh, endeavour to do that at the earliest opportunity. Please. Oh, I went off. Start. I went off track there, boy. Yeah, no, that, but, um... that was interesting about Grandpot. Yeah, I didn't. Know, I didn't know. I mean, obviously, I didn't know a lot of that. Yeah, that's. I, mean, I do feel sorry for him a bit, but as you say, it couldn't happen to a more hilarious club than Chelsea. I have absolutely no sympathy for them whatsoever. And they're, you know, but that squad's cost. I read cost is like nine hundred nearly fifty million or something. I mean, it's fucking ridiculous. I'm also sorry. biased. It's quite something about the Abamyang situation that gets. Yeah, yeah. You know, Arteta. What a blinder in 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 a way. I mean, you, look, we've seen it with Man United as well. I'm not gonna say it's exactly the same situation, but Ronaldo leaving has yeah, oh, very you know, similar, yeah, taken well, no, a, yeah, them to a level where maybe they didn't anticipate, and they had to get rid of that character to. to Did you see push forward. Robbie um, Thingy on Five Live? You know, um, uh, what's his Savage? name? Savage, Savage, of course. Robbie Savage said that Ten Hag is currently the best manager in the world. You see, he said that he said that after the League Cup, the Carabao Cup. If, if he's the best manager in the world, right? And Man United are currently what um, five points behind us, um, eight points behind if we win our game in hand. Then what does that make Arteta? I mean, that makes Arteta. You know, it, it makes a uh, Charlie Savage is still a Manchester United player, son of Robbie Savage, who uh, <laughs> right. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he's true. Not, Good um, point. Not had but, too many appearances at Forest Green on his on his yeah. own move. I'm sure he's hoping for a return to Old Trafford. Um, who but knows here's my, I do have a question about Manu. I am still worried about them. I am worried about Manu. I went yesterday. Ah, yes. I was, at, I was at Wembley. I had a double football weekend. Uh, wow. You know, in, enjoyed being at the uh, Carabao Cup final. I did probably want Newcastle to oh, win. Oh, God, gotcha. yeah. Yeah. Um, well, United, United were... Solid. I think until the goal, I thought it was a fairly even game. But then United did just go through a few gears and create, you know, good opportunities. Yeah. And look, with Rashford at the moment, they've got the most one of the most informed players, you yeah. know, in Rashford Europe and, at the moment. So, Rashford and Casemiro are, fa- are both fantastic. Ricky, you didn't, you, you didn't well. want you didn't want. No, no. I I have to say, I really really enjoyed watching Newcastle lose. Just, what have you got against I mean, Newcastle? Well, just the obvious. Um, well, the Saudi Arabian thing. Yeah. yeah oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed, I mean, it's, yeah, I enjoyed uh, Eddie Howe, just wet fish, just enjoyed watching him, uh, you know, so <laughs> watching on the sideline, just looking very forlorn. And the, yeah. I think my favourite part was when Fabian Shah just threw himself on the floor and they both, him and uh, is it Jason Tindall, went like, man, I think it was a penalty and it was just, 
Yeah, I really oh, yeah, do. I mean, was... Man United is quite strange. They've gone, was it five or six years without a trophy? But um, yeah, for Newcastle to be so close, but so far away, was enjoyable. Okay. I'm, I I gave some Newcastle fans some directions. There was like literally tens of thousands of Newcastle fans in yeah. London on Saturday, the day before the bloody game. Yeah. And I did I did feel like, you know, I, I enjoyed like showing them where to go because they were literally walking around London like they had no idea. Yeah. They just beamed in from space or something. Yeah, I saw um, someone in a cafe at very early on Sunday yeah. morning enjoying a post post cup final. But I wow. do have some, I have some fear about Man United because they're on such a roll. That they, and I know they are, you know, there are a decent number of points behind us. But actually, people keep like I, t- I tweeted this about a week ago, and I had loads of, I don't, I don't understand overly confident football fans who are like who have that whole this kind of blase, this like, almost like um, performative, you know, oh, you know, no chance at all, don't be stupid, you know, they are going to be a gigantic total of five points behind or whatever, you know, and you're like, that's nothing. You know, we ourselves at one point, we remember that we got one point, what, out of nine in our, in our little blip period. So, and they're on a brilliant roll. So I am scared of both Man City and Man United. Am I, am I stupid to be scared of Man United? Personally, I don't, I don't think that someone actually said it in the WhatsApp group that I'm in, that they are in the title hunt. And I said, yeah, they're in it, but they won't win it. Um, and okay. oh, I, I actually think, I know you, we joked about Ten Hag being the best manager in the world at the moment. I think he's he has done a fantastic job. Oh like yeah, Josh alluded no, to that Ronaldo leaving has been the best thing that's happened to him and the club. Um, I don't think they'll catch us this season, but I think going forward they'll they'll have a very good team. They've they've got they've spent an insane amount of money and they've got a decent team, but not fantastic. And they'll probably sign a lot better going forward. Although I think their last signing was Vegor, so who knows. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think they're I don't think they'll trouble us too much this season. Just you know, we don't have to play them again, um, and I'm, it's probably unfortunate they don't have to play City again. Um, but mm. yeah, move part beyond this season. I think they'll 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 just get better. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's even makes it even more urgent that we do actually win this season because we're going to have a resurgent Man U next season. I guess we should turn our attention to. Two games, two games to predict. Very excitingly, in the all important prediction section of the podcast. Um, what do we think Josh is going to happen on Wednesday night then in the game in hand, which is the crucial game? I mean, I know every single game feels unbelievably crucial, but this is the game in hand that we've been waiting so long for against Everton, who we were disastrous against when we played them away. What do you think is going to happen, Josh? Yeah, I didn't enjoy that trip to Goodison Park. Would really uh, enjoy um, putting that right on Wednesday night, I, I worry that it's going to be one of these like nervous atmospheres because this, you know, they get bigger and bigger, right? They're every every week that goes by and we're top of the league, the, the kind of gravity of, of the game. And I think we've seen that with the Emirates crowd. It, it has been and felt tangible nervousness, particularly uh, that Brentford home game. It, it felt like that. Um, but here I am and I, I think we'll we'll win. I, I thought where Everton, they, you know, played... P- percentage football they were trying to get as many crosses as they could get as many corners and eventually they scored from one um i think it'll be a tough evening but i think it, it might take until late in the game but i think arsenal can prevail here too now ricky i think it will be a similar game to i think it'll be similar to the game that we had at their place but they probably won't be quite as up for it they won't have the crowd on their side and 
Yeah, without just sort of copying Josh's score, I would say 2-0 as well. But I don't it wouldn't surprise me if we did if we were looking at nil nil with ten minutes to go and you know, yeah. suddenly the whole stadium was in sheer panic mode and some yeah. hero stepped up with a last minute winner. That would be uh, sweet, but yeah, I don't want to go through that. I, I I do think we'll probably see Trossard again. I, I think Eddie might be sort of kept back on the bench. I can only really oh, yeah. see I think so. the possibility of Tomiyasu and, and why I think that feels fairly interchangeable um, right now. I think other than that, um, and, not, and obviously I think if parties fit, I think he, he comes in and probably does so for Jorginho. So um, I think there'll be a couple, couple of changes, but in, in terms of that front three, I think there was uh, enough there to carry on with those three up front. What do, what do you feel, Boyd? I agree with that, yeah. Um, uh, I think it's going to be 1-0, yeah. I think it's going to be... I, I, I was going to suggest exactly the narrative that Ricky suggested, that it's going to be painfully frustrating for quite a long period of time, I imagine, because he'll have them... You know, yeah, he'll have them in a permanent load lock, I would have thought. Um, it's a 1-0. And then Bournemouth at home obviously got smashed into tiny pieces by Man City at the weekend. It would be good to get our goal difference. The one thing I worry about with this title race, well, I worry about about 5,000 things, but one of the many things I worry about is that they've got much better goal difference than us. And they've got eight better goal difference. Um, so, which is basically a weird point, you know, that's like, that, no, you're shaking your head, Josh. I don't think we'll catch them on goal difference. I think if we're going to win the title, it yeah, will right, have to yeah. be by points. It just feels yeah. the way it's going, you know, with the uh, the attacking force that they've got. Um, look, eight goals in 14 games is entirely possible to swing that around. You know, we obviously play against them, so, you know, it counts both ways there. Bournemouth is a weird situation, you know, right now, because it, it did feel like um, when they had the managerial sort of change quite early on in the season, they obviously had that, you know, extraordinary 9-0 defeat. And then they went on this run of, I think, about six six without losing. But right now, I mean, they, they won at Wolves, but that was kind of their only uh, positive, you know, only win certainly since, um, you know, just prior to the World Cup. So they have been in like wretched form and uh, and a pretty, you know, heavy favourites to to get relegated. So, you know, if we look ahead to sort of games we've got left this season, I think this is, you know, the, the, easy, the easiest one really. So um, I do think we'll get, we'll get some goals. I think we'll win this one 3-1. Rick? Yeah, I guess it's an obvious thing to say, but if they if we are going to uh, thrash anyone else this season, we thrash anyone this season. Yeah, I guess we beat Bournemouth three 0 away, Forest five 0 at home. Yeah, I guess this is a good chance, but I don't even like the thought of getting too cocky and thinking, you know, looking too far ahead. So, hmm. yeah, I'd say three 0 because, as Josh said, they are not a fantastic team. No, I'm going to say two 0 just to keep on the slightly pessimistic side of things well thank you very much ricky as ever for joining us thank you josh thank you so much ricky and we'll be back next week bye if you want to advertise on or sponsor this show check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk sports social podcast network